the same. God, I'll never be the same because of your grace, because of your unmerited favor, Lord. And I'll never be the same. Hallelujah. Amen. And, you know, tonight is a, is a championship night. Amen. I just feel like we've just pounced on the devil's head and declared victory. We've said it's in you. We've said there's no other name. We've declared we're going to lift our hands in the sanctuary. The only thing left to do is to close this thing off by declaring that we're champions in Christ. Amen. Strong. Say, I'm strong. I'm an overcomer. Say, I won't back down. Shall I, shall I am? A champion. No, you got to say it like you mean it now. Say, I'm a champion. Look at somebody and say, I'm a champion.
Well, good morning, Victory Life Church. It's great to see you today. You are vibrant and excited. In spite, in spite of that funky weather outside, I'm impressed with your, with your spirit this morning. Uh, my name's Pastor Otto, and I get the great privilege of welcoming you to church today. And if this is one of your first times checking us out, we want to extend a special welcome to you and encourage you to check, out us, check us out on our website at vlchurch.com. And there is a New Here tab you should click on. Yeah, you can see it right there on the screen. Um, and, uh, and that will come straight to me. There's prompts. You can fill that out, and I will communicate with you sometime this week to get you connected to all things that are going on here at Victory Life Church. We do have a few exciting announcements today that I want to uh, mention to you, um, not the least of which you probably already know about, but we are super pumped to have our very new student life pastor with us. He's starting officially today, so no heckling. Be very nice. Be very kind. Be Victory Life Church friendly to him. Um, Aaron Moore is with us. Aaron, can you stand and can we just give him a Victory Life Church welcome this morning? You may be seated. Thank you, Aaron. And we are going to have an installment prayer for Aaron Moore in between our two services uh, at around 10.50 a.m. And so if you have some extra time after this first service, we encourage you and invite you to join us uh, during that time. We're thrilled to do that for you, Aaron, and are excited about the ministry that you're going to have here at Victory Life Church. Also, I want to give a shameless plug for one of his first youth events. It's going to happen this Wednesday night. Um, out at the pavilion for youth only. No parents allowed. Not to mention any names, Matt Petrosky. Um, you know, it's going to be a great time. So encourage your youth to come. Uh, Aaron is excited. It's just going to be a youth picnic, a hangout, a getting to know you time. And it's going to happen at 7 p.m. this Wednesday, August 5th. So seriously, Aaron, we're glad you're here. Very glad you're here. Well, I just uh, want to make mention of the fact that if you have come today prepared to give to Victory Life Church, we want to thank you for doing so. You know that you have a couple of different ways in which you can do that. You can go online. You can text to give, actually. You can text to uh, 73256. You text the message VLC3833, or you can go to our website at vlchurch.com backslash give and just follow the prompts from there. But if you'd like to give on your way out today, you can certainly do that. Our ushers will be waiting at the door as they dismiss you today. Can I ask you to stand as we prepare and segue into worship today? Let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us. I'm reminded of a conversation I had this weekend about, about the concept of faith. And someone asked me, what is faith? And I couldn't help but describe faith as something that you give to us. It's a gift from you, the Apostle Paul tells us. So the very fact that we are here this morning is a gift from you. You have drawn us into yourself. It's a mysterious thing. It's something that's very hard to understand, but we know that it's a supernatural thing. And we have come to declare that you are doing something supernatural in this place this morning. When we say you are God, we are saying you are beyond everything that we experience in this world. You've created beginnings and endings. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are bigger than anything we could face today. So as we declare you are God, I pray that that would have a deep impact on our hearts and minds this morning. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. And we're here to declare his praises today. We're here to worship his name today. He's a good and glorious God.
comfortable this morning and your eyes are closed, if you want to 
stretch two hands out towards heaven or just two palms up. It's just a sign that says, Lord, I surrender to you. If you don't feel comfortable, that's all right. It's just a sign of surrender. That's all it is. It says, Lord, I surrender the throne of my heart to you this morning. Because it's you, Lord, who took my place on the cross. It's you, Lord, who took my sin and shame. It's you, Lord, who brought me new life. And we worship you this morning. And thank you for the cross.
God, what a beautiful song. What a beautiful song in light of what you were willing to do for each person in this room and for each person in this world. It was at the cross that you said some of your final words, in which case you stated it is finished it's done you did what you came to earth to do and because of what you did on the cross we have an opportunity to be reconnected to you forever so we thank you for the cross in Jesus name people said. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for worshiping with us today. Thank you, worship team, for leading us to the cross this morning. And you may be seated. Well, it's uh, a great day to be in church, is it not? And uh, that was wonderful feeling and sensing the presence of God in this place. And uh, we have the great opportunity to hear more about the work of God um, here on planet Earth, like around the world this morning for a few minutes, and then Pastor Matt will come up and preach and teach afterwards. And uh, so we're going to invite uh, Daniel and Sierra Miller to come forward, and I understand they're coming with little ones this morning, so come on up, Daniel and Sierra. And as they come, might you welcome them, Victory Life Church. Sierra get stage fright? No. no. I oh, she forgot the microphone. Come on up, Sarah, Sierra. Hi, little ones. It's so great to have you with us today. Um, just to give you some background and some context, in case you don't know who Daniel and Sierra Miller are and their two little ones, they are uh, currently missionaries in the country of Djibouti. Did I get that right? Ooh. Yep. And they have their two little ones that they're going to introduce here momentarily. And we are excited to have them with us today because they are two missionaries, in fact, that we have supported uh, for the better part of 10 years, a little over 10 years, I understand, as they've had ministries all around the world. And so um, we're so glad you're here with us today. Thank you. And can you tell us a little bit about your family, who you have with you this morning? Yes. And then we'll go from there. All right. This is Natalie, our oldest. She's 11. And Kate just turned nine. Beautiful. Can we give them a Victory Life Church welcome? Yes. Thank you for coming up. And uh, you guys are going to give your speech in about five minutes, okay? So just get it prepared in your mind and uh, no worries at all. But so welcome. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about where Djibouti is and kind of the cultural makeup of the country? Daniel, you have the mic, so I guess it's on you, brother. Uh, so uh, Djibouti is in the uh, Horn of Africa. 
and uh, it is uh, next to Somalia, uh, Ethiopia, and Eritrea. Okay. Tell us a little bit about the religious makeup of the country. What's going on there as far as religion is concerned? Uh, currently, it's about 96% uh, uh, Muslim, mm -hmm. but we're working to change that. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing. So, like, what kind of Bible studies do you have going on? What kind of outreach and evangelistic efforts do you, are you doing? Yeah, we have uh, some amazing Bible studies that uh, we have going on uh, where we uh, it just started out. One guy was like, hey, I want to study the Bible. And I said, okay. And so uh, before you know it, uh, you turn around. Now we have five or six guys that are uh, studying, studying the Word together with us. And um, <clears throat> we come in and uh, we study maybe for a couple hours and, you know, we only uh, cover maybe one chapter because uh, we just really go deep into the chapters and really learn about uh, what God has for us. And so it's just really neat when you're um, talking to these guys and sharing with them and, and they're, they're sharing what they're learning. And, and you just see like the sparkle in their eyes and you see like, wow, God moved in their life today. Yeah. Like they had a fresh revelation from the Lord today. And that's yeah. just amazing to see. Yeah. And then also uh, we've been doing some evangelism. Uh, we just go out uh, on the street and share the gospel with people, and we have a lot of good conversations with people and stuff. Um, but then uh, one day, I uh, <clears throat> decided just to go for a walk, and I was out walking, and, you know, in a country that's 96% Muslim, uh, a guy looked at me, and he said, hey, I'm Christian. And I was like, what? Is he trying to get something from me? <laughs> and so uh, <clears throat> next uh, couple days later, we had him over to the house and asked him, well, what does it mean to be Christian? And he said, you know, to be Christian is peaceful. And to be Muslim is not. I was like, well, that's not quite the gospel. So uh, we, we explained the gospel to him, and uh, he prayed to uh, receive the Lord that day. Wow. And uh, we gave him a Bible, and uh, now we've uh, just been uh, trying to get him to come back and uh, st study with us. That's excellent. So we've had a couple stories like that. So it's been really neat just to see what God's doing. Yeah. And, um, yeah. That's really cool. Well, you know, we know that the Bible tells us that no one can come to God unless God draws them first. So it Amen. sounds like God is up to some really cool things there in Djibouti. Um, tell us a little bit more about, um, uh, do you attend any churches or, or, or not? Is, is there anything like that going on in Djibouti? Uh, sometimes they have some small things going on yeah. uh, there. Uh, there's kind of a house church that uh, sometimes uh, we go to. Uh, <clears throat> when the, the people that are leading it are in the country, we go. <laughs> yeah. But uh, with... Uh, the um, virus they've uh, been out of the country so uh, we haven't been able to quite go to that and then uh, sometimes there's a uh, another uh, bigger church uh, that's there yeah. but uh, when they have English services we go um, but a lot of times they just have uh, services in French so. so you brought it up so and I'm gonna ask um, can you tell us a little bit about how COVID maybe has affected your work there in Djibouti yeah sure um, ours wasn't a, very different from you guys. We had two months of really quiet lockdown, and um, for us, we homeschool, and so that didn't change our day-to-day -day schedule very much, which was good. And um, but it did give us a good opportunity to reach outside our walls because while we were provided for, a lot of people in the country are very poor. They live day to day. Yeah. You know, just whatever they make that day is what they go spend on food and bring home. And so when businesses were shut down, they didn't have anything. Yeah. So we were able to facilitate a bunch of um, food distributions about once a week wow. and get out there and help some people. And a lot of people that Daniel had been in touch with that maybe he had just shared with once or twice, and they were kind of on the fence, you know, or didn't really know what to think of him, I guess. Yeah. 
And then he would call them up and say, hey, how are you doing? Do yeah. you need some food? You yeah. know, are you being taken care of? And it just showed them a physical, I guess, love that we had as well, sure. not just, hey, we want to debate and talk with you. Sure. Yeah. That's cool. Really cool. And so are people asking questions about that? Do they wonder why you're so kind and nice? And does that build a bridge for opportunity for evangelism? Hey, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, not, not a ton, but yeah. uh, at the same time, whenever you give something out free, people notice you. And so uh, if they see you later or something, you know, like later on, there, there could be potential for more conversations and stuff. But uh, so far, we've just, um, during the COVID time, we've just given out a lot of uh, food bags and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, very cool. And I want to ask you a last question here. Um, and it's uh, based on some things that we have been reflecting on as a staff. And it, it kind of connects into the work that you're doing there in Djibouti. You know, there's a, there's a couple of verses in Isaiah 43 uh, where God says to his people, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? It's an interesting verse. Um, what do you perceive God is doing? You're on the other side of the world, right? What do you perceive God is doing around the world? That's a great question. And uh, I perceive that God is doing a lot around the world. Uh, in Djibouti and in many places, uh, a lot of times we get so um, just used to doing the same thing every day and and we get in the place where we don't feel like we need God, which is a dangerous place to be. Mm. But uh, here in 2020, I think uh, if God hasn't shown us anything, I think we've seen that we need God. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I've been praying personally just for uh, repentance worldwide. And uh, I've heard several stories of people around the world of uh, people coming to the Lord. And so, I mean, we've uh, seen a couple guys come there and uh, just other people around the world are just uh, talking about how... God is drawing people to himself through this time. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what I'm seeing happening. Yeah, that's cool. Very cool. I'm reminded of the first beatitude that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 5 where he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see the kingdom of God. And that seems kind of contrary to what we try to promote as an American culture. We try to promote independence and personal strength. But Jesus is saying, when you reach this point where you realize that you can't depend on yourself anymore, that's the point at which you will see the kingdom of, of God at work in your life. And so that kind of sounds like what you're saying. Amen. Yeah, very cool. Well, we're going to pray for them before they exit the stage this morning. And so if you don't mind just reaching out a hand uh, to Daniel and Sierra, we're going to um, offer a word of prayer uh, for their work in Djibouti. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm reminded of uh, what Jesus told his people, his disciples, before he left planet Earth. He gave us a mission, and he said, go into the entire world to preach and teach the gospel. So we lift up Daniel and Sierra Miller right now and their little ones as they continue to do just that. We pray that their steps would be guided by your Holy Spirit. May their efforts in ministry be conceived by you that they might accomplish things beyond mere human effort. And may the handprint of their presence change a country for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grant them strength, grant them vitality, passion, and commitment to do this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, can you honor Daniel and Sierra and thank them for coming today? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Great to see you.
Pastor Matt, welcome back. Try putting on an over-the-air microphone with a mask on. See how you do. Good to be with you all today. Glad to be back. Had a wonderful... Oh, okay, I didn't know what that was. Didn't... Glad to be back. Had a wonderful time off, and, uh, but I'm so glad to be back with you this morning. Now, you might say, why do you bring a couple of missionaries up and uh, talk to them every time there's missionaries here? Well, it's a very simple thing. Uh, we as a church, are part of our, our general fund, when, when you give your tithes and offerings, that goes to help support some of our missionaries around the world. We, we take a portion of that and, and seed that directly into their ministry. And so you need to know uh, what we as a church support. But we also want folks like Daniel and Sierra to come because we want to have folks have the blessing of participating in that ministry in a very personal way. And so I would just encourage you, I had somebody come to my office this week and they said, you know, I heard the message on giving a few weeks ago and I've really started to give in response to that message. Uh, What's my next step? And I said, one of the next steps that we would love every person at Victory Life to take would be to, on a personal level, support a missionary or support a missionary couple. And so I would encourage you today, if, if you're like, wow, these people are over there uh, sharing the gospel with, with folks in a, in a place that I would never go, that I'd be so terrified that I'd never even know where to start, you can have a practical way of participating with them in that ministry by helping support them. And so I would encourage you, as I encourage that young person this week, uh, even if you were to say, Daniel and Sierra, I would love to support you at $10 a month because that's all I have, do it. I've had missionaries come back for years and say, if I had 50 people who'd give $10 a month, I'd be set, all right? And so I would really encourage you, if you're like, that is so cool, God's doing some amazing work, this family's over there really sacrificing for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God hasn't called me to do that, I would say, but God has called you to support that. God has called you to seed into that, whether it's in Djibouti or another one of our missionaries. So if that touched your heart today, go over to them and today and be like, I want to start supporting you. I want to start being part of that team. I want to start helping people to hear about Jesus Christ halfway around the world in a place where they've never heard about him before. Stop and talk to them. You might be like, I don't have any money. For the price of two ventis, you can support some missionaries. For for the price of, of five Gatorades, you can support missionaries. You know, I just encourage you, take, take your gas station money and give it to the Lord. You know? There's some missionaries. So stop and talk to them today. Find out how you can support them. Uh, their, their newsletters are great when you get them back and you just see what's going on week to week and day to day on the mission field. So I just encourage you, if you haven't, to support them and God's laid it on your heart. Don't walk out today before talking to them and, uh, and making sure that you become part of, the, part of that ministry in an appreciable way, which is, which is so absolutely cool. We also had some great things going on this week. We had our socially distant vacation Bible school. Uh, here on the property, which is absolutely great, and uh, we had a wonderful day, and we just want to honor the volunteers who were part of that this week. We are so grateful that you ministered to our children here on the property. If you are a volunteer at VBS, would you stand so we can honor you real quick? We are so thankful that you participated. Look at all that. Can we thank those people? Thank you very much for serving us and serving our children. It was so awesome to see kids, kids were getting dropped off, like, are you really leaving me here? 
Like, it's been five months that they have been with, not, not been with their parents, right? So they're like, are you really leaving me here? Like, yes, we're leaving you here. But the discipleship and the evangelism that took place was absolutely incredible. I had one person who volunteered who stopped and talked to me and said, you don't know how my volunteering bolstered my faith this week. You don't know what God did in me. And this was an adult, right? And so God did some incredible things. Thank you to the team. Thank you to those who worked so hard. Thank you to Megan Flaker who oversaw things this year. Awesome, awesome week. So all of my PSAs are taken care of, and we're going to get down into the Scripture, all right? So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 8, to one of the most familiar stories in the entire Bible. I walked into Subway this week to get my, get my favorite sandwich, and I saw a note on the door that said, Toaster oven broken, no toasted subs. So I walked in with my mask on, and I said, what do you mean your toaster oven's broken? I come here to get a toasted sub, not a soggy sub, you know? And you just saw the eyes of the employees widen, you know, in fear and trepidation. I said, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And, and, and you saw this, like, deer in the headlights look like this has been happening for days. So I looked at these two employees of Subway. I said, hey, have people just been absolutely wicked to you because of the toaster oven? They're like, you would never know. How mean people are being to us as if we broke the toaster oven on purpose. They they said people have been absolutely wicked, mean, yelling at us because they can't get a toasted sub. Are we living in a time of heightened tension or is it just me? I mean, really. People are screaming at 19-year-olds because they can't get their submarine sandwich warmed. Something's off here. And you know it. You know we're in troubled times. Now, the world is always troubled. I've said to people recently in recent weeks, God's seen this all before. He's not overwhelmed by the circumstances that we face right now, but we do live in troubled times. Never in our lifetime have we had to deal with the effects of an outbreak or a pandemic like this. If I would have told you back last November there would be a political divide over masks, you would have called me a crazy person, right? I mean, we live in an age where heightened tension is also bringing to bear and bringing to the fore questions of systemic racism within our culture. People are polarized, and people are fighting, and people are going back and forth, and people are screaming about toasted subs. There there is so much tension, so many new crises that keep coming our way, so many things that keep hammering us information after information, uh, crises after crises, and Oftentimes, we as Christians jump in immediately to respond to each and every one. We share our opinion. We share our feeling. We share what we think we need to get out there, need to have said. And I I have seen this propensity over the past five months since COVID's began, even though it's older than that. And I want to make sure that if we as a church are going to respond to the crises that face our world, that we respond like Christ that we respond like our Lord and Savior, that we respond like the one who gave us new life into a living hope, that we respond like Jesus. So for the next few weeks, I'm going to take you into moments in the life of Jesus that were not of his making, times when things came at him rather than him coming at things. Situations hit him, and he needed to respond to them because people were asking him, what do we do with this crisis? And I'm going to take you to one of the most important and poignant crises in the Bible. 
and see, at least today, as, we, as we're going to spend a few weeks in this Responding Like Christ series, what Christ did when he was faced with a crisis not of his own making that has changed the world forever. Let's look at John chapter 8, verses 2 and following. Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple, it says, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Now they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And at once he bent down and wrote on the ground some more. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. One of the most famous stories in the Bible. Now, if you are reading on your online version or reading in your hard copy of the Bible, you might see a note that says that that this version of events was not found in the earliest manuscripts or some of the earliest manuscripts. Yet this story has endured. What does that mean for us? Well, let let me give you the Reader's Digest of this. Manuscripts are written copies of the Bible. They would have been written in Greek and they would have been passed down from church to church until they eventually became what we have as the Bible today. Some of the oldest ones we have don't have this story. But many of the old ones that we have do have this story and many of the church fathers reference this story from a very early point. This is the only story in the scriptures that I know of that made its way into two gospels. They didn't know where to put it. It was found in John and it was found in Luke at times. So this is early tradition, an early story about Jesus, an early story that the disciples were telling people, but we don't quite know if Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John wrote it down. We don't know who wrote it down, but since it was quoted for such early on, and since it was placed in so many different Bibles, we do believe that this is authoritative, and these are actual events that took place with Jesus. The one thing that goes one step further in confirming that this has to be Jesus is the early Christians were militant about their sexual ethics militant about them. In this particular story that seems to let somebody off the hook who's been caught in in a bad situation has to be Jesus because the early church would have been like, stone that woman too. So it has to be Jesus who said this or they wouldn't have allowed this story to continue down through history. But what's going on here? Jesus, son of God, Messiah, savior of the world, goes to the temple, the the place, the, the gathering place of religion, if you will, in Jerusalem, and he sits down to teach the people because rabbis would sit to teach. And he is teaching and teaching and teaching, and all of a sudden, he gets rushed by a crowd of Pharisees and scribes, by a crowd of folks who really knew the law of Moses very well, and they've got someone with them. And that someone with them is a woman who has been caught in the act of adultery. They throw this woman into the midst, says the writer, so in the middle of the whole crowd, and says, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says, Stoner, what do you say? Respond now. Give us the information that we want to know. Jesus, tell us. Now, Jesus did not ask for this situation. Don't know what Jesus was teaching about that day, but I doubt he was saying, let all the adulterers come unto me. 
Don't think that that's what he was preaching on, but this is what is thrust into, his, into, into the midst. This is what's thrust into his life, a situation not of his own making, and an appeal to the law of Moses. Now, the Jewish people were conquered by the Romans at this point. They were, they were under the authority of Rome. The law of Moses was sort of their societal and religious contract. The, the thing that helped them maintain the fact that they were God's people and they, they did have a holy history and, and they did have a call in the world, that was the law of Moses. That was what's found at the end of Exodus and in Leviticus and in the book of Deuteronomy, the law by which they lived. And this appeal to the law says, Jesus, you need to make a judgment and you better make the right one according to the law. You better say something now that is the right thing. Immediately, and, and, and if you don't say what we're telling you to say, well, then we have, we're going to get you. Because if you show this woman mercy, it's clear that you're not for our societal contract. You don't have the best for the Jewish people in mind. But I'm going to explain to you in just a few minutes that the situation was even more layered. So they're asking Jesus, split second, in the moment, new crises, to say something immediately. Do it. Say it. Now, Jesus. And Jesus does one of my favorite things in all of history. He doodles in the dirt. I mean, think about this. They have, they have, they, we've got this, this rush of people that comes before Jesus. They throw this woman, the Bible says, into the midst, in the center of the ring. They say, Jesus, you're either for the law of Moses or you're against the law of Moses. What are you going to say? And he goes, starts writing in the dirt. Starts writing in the dirt. Let me back up for just a second just to make something very, very clear. The woman's guilt was not in question. She was caught in the act. It's not about whether or not this woman is guilty of a grave sin. The question is simply, what's Jesus going to tell them to do about it? And you say, Pastor Matt, what was he writing in the dirt? What, what, were they supposed to be reading what was in the dirt? Did he do it in 280 characters or less? What? 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 What was going on down there in the dirt? And, and, and there's been all types of theories throughout the years. I don't know. But here's what I think is going on, in my ever so humble opinion. I think Jesus is taking just a moment to make sure that he's going to respond to the situation, not react to it. And the difference between responding and reacting? Reacting to a situation is to allow the initial hit of information to then be reflexively given immediately back. That's reacting. To every action, there is an equal, equal and opposite reaction. I did bad in science, but I remembered that. That is reacting. An action hits you, and you respond with equal force, or you react with equal force. That's not what Jesus does. If Jesus was reacting with equal force, he might have said something very different. He might have been in a very different mood. But Jesus, I believe, stops for just a minute that he might answer in his own timing, that he might diffuse the situation just a little bit before he speaks. Now, why does he do this? Because sometimes Jesus is on it. Jesus, what's going on here? Let me tell you, I'm the son of God. This time he pauses. Why does he pause? What's the pause all about? Well, I think that the reason that Jesus paused here, I believe this with all my heart, is that the spirit of the situation was all wrong, and he knew it. The spirit behind the situation was wrong. When confronted with a situation not of his making, Jesus discerned what was going on behind the scenes before he spoke into it. 
And what was going on behind the scenes in this particular story was demonic. It was all wrong. It was satanic. It was disgusting on so many levels. That's why I think Jesus paused, stopped, rode in the dirt, worked on the timing, because he was not going to play the game. He wasn't going to play their game. And let me tell you what I mean by this being a game. The first part of this game is very abundantly clear because it says it right in verse 6 to the reader. They brought this woman to Jesus that they might have a charge to bring against him. They're trying to trap him. Jesus intuitively knows this is a trap. This is a trap. They are trying to get me to say something that is going to affect my ministry negatively. This is a trap. How do we know this is a trap? Well, the Pharisees and the scribes didn't need to bring this woman to Jesus. He has nothing to do with this situation. This isn't of his making. He's not the judge. At least to them he wasn't. Why are they bringing this woman to him in the first place? Sometimes we don't even pause to go, why is this being brought to my attention? You ever have a situation brought to your attention by your kids? And you're like, why are you telling me? He took this car, and then I took that car, but he took the car that I took. And then he took the other car, and because I didn't get that car, I took the other car. Dad, what are you going to do about it? I don't know. Why are you bringing this to me? We have 78 cars. Just go get another car, right? Jesus, Jesus smells something off here. Jesus smells that it's not quite right. But this situation is demonic. It's satanic. The whole thing is wrong. Why is it wrong? Well, let me tell you this. In the Jewish world, you had to establish an accusation like this by two witnesses, okay? You couldn't even bring this accusation unless two people had witnessed it. How did two people catch someone in the act of adultery accidentally? Do they both uh, 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 stumble through the door at the same time? Hey, (laughs) oh, sorry, sorry. Hey. At the exact same time? Obviously not. That means that these two witnesses were lying in wait for this to take place. And by other Jewish laws, they were required to give a warning. Hey, where are you going? You shouldn't do that. I'm right here. I know where you're going. There was no warning given. But there's more that makes this situation stink. Let me tell you what else made this situation stink. By this time in history, usually after adultery, there wasn't any corp or capital punishment. There was usually just a fine and divorce. They weren't really stoning people for this anymore. It wasn't taking place. Not only that, but the word of God had been manipulated. The law of Moses never said to stone adulterers. It never said how to administer that justice. It doesn't say to stone them. They're manipulating the word of God. Can you believe that? For for somebody to get the end that they want, they would manipulate God's word? Could you imagine that someone might do that and twist the Bible just a little bit to make it say what they wanted to say? And the biggest stinky part of this whole thing, the the biggest thing that says the spirit behind this is completely wrong and completely, completely demonic, where's the guy? Where is he? With all of these things going on, I can imagine why Jesus wrote in the dirt for a few minutes. He paused. The Savior of the world paused. He diffused the situation for just a few moments before deciding to jump right in. We're learning something. Could we think, before we open our mouths as Christians, to follow the pattern of the Lord in this particular 
circumstance and at least try to discern the spirit behind it. I'm not saying not to speak. I'm not saying to speak or not to speak. I'm simply asking, have we asked ourselves as the people of God, who is bringing me this moment, the enemy or God? Why is this situation not of my making come to my attention? Who has brought it to my attention? Jesus does this all the time. Sometimes Jesus knows that the situation is from the enemy, and he refuses to speak at all in the Gospels. Did you know? Jesus, neither will I tell you. Will you remain silent? Sometimes Jesus refuses to speak at all. Many times in the gospel, when confronted with a situation not of his making, Jesus doesn't render a judgment immediately. He asks questions. Imagine that. He, he, He asks questions to gather more information, to discern the spirit behind what people are bringing to him. Sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. And Jesus is not always in a contentious relationship with the Pharisees. There's times in the book of Luke where he's sitting down and they're having a good back and forth about what's right and what's wrong and and, and what should be right and what should be done. It's not always contentious, but this situation is. This situation is all wrong and he knows it. And he writes in the dirt until the point where they keep asking him, Jesus, tell us, come on, we need to know. Jesus, tell us, come on. What, what, What is it? What should we be thinking? And when Jesus does speak, when Jesus in his timing does say what needs to be said, it is so poignant, it is so pure, it is so clear that it was from God, so clear that it wasn't tainted by the opinions of the Pharisees, so clear that it wasn't going to make the people in the crowd happy that would have cried out for mercy, so clear that he was, he was finding And hearing from heaven that this story has reverberated for two millennia. People who don't even know anything about the Bible have heard the quote, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Don't throw stones is still part of our colloquial language because Jesus does something incredible in this moment. He identifies to the entire crowd, everybody here is a sinner but me. Everybody here is worthy of judgment. Therefore, if you're not worthy of judgment, go ahead and throw the stone. So poignant, so pure, so from God, so clear. Jesus, the Son of Man, the one given all authority under heaven, could have rendered a judgment against this woman that day, and it could have stuck. He could have said, show her mercy, and it could have stuck. But if he had done either one of those things, they would have had him right where they wanted him. Instead, Jesus finds a third way. And what happens? Oh, Jesus, that's ridiculous. How could you have that opinion? Oh, Jesus, you've missed the mark, man. No, everybody goes, oh, oh, that was good. I'm out. <laughs> and they leave. Starting with the oldest people first. I love that. I love that. Because the young people are like, I'm not, I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. The old guys are like, yes, I am. I'm out. Right? They've, li- they, they've lived enough of life to know that they're worthy of judgment too. It says the old guys left first. Right? And then the younger people took off. See, I, I just want to make some observations for us here. I just want to make some observations. I think, I think they're so important for us, church. 
is before Jesus said anything, he discerned the spirit of the situation. And what he ended up doing because he discerned the spirit of the situation was this. He took a moment that the enemy made for evil and created it for God's good. He took a moment that the enemy had designed for evil to be done, and he ended up doing the Lord's work in it. Jesus needed to respond. Jesus needed to say something. If anybody needed to say something, it was Jesus. But he made sure he did it in his timing, and he diffused the situation after he had discerned the spirit behind it. I believe Jesus heard from heaven. Jesus said in other places in the book of John, hey, I don't say anything unless I've heard it from my father first. Jesus didn't make this situation, but he responded to it appropriately with something straight from heaven. He spoke because he was supposed to. Jesus could have reacted in the flesh and said, hey, you guys don't want me to render a judgment. You're just trying to test me. You want to bring a charge against me. Hey, and you, lady, if you would have just had some self-control, none of us would be in this mess. He could have reacted in the flesh, but he didn't. He knew he had something to say once he had paused and I believe, heard from heaven. His timing was perfect. He didn't need a million words. He discerned the Spirit. He heard from heaven. He was supposed to speak, so he did. His timing was good, and he didn't need a million words to get his point across. Just some observations. You say, Pastor Matt, I see where you're going with this. If that is what is required before I speak, I can never speak again. Good. I say this to you with all love and kindness as your pastor. Shut up. If you do not want to be as careful as our Lord and Savior was when presented with a a crisis not of your own making, then you shouldn't speak at all. If you're not asking, God, what's going on right now? And do you even want me to say anything? And what should I say if I do say something? If you, don't, if you don't battle with these questions before you speak, then then the name Christian is not sticking to you. Because Christian was a pejorative, if you will, that means little Christ. You are not reflecting and responding in a Christ-like way. You're responding in what Paul would call the flesh. Just in your own inclinations and, and, and whatever you think, you're just going to say it. Someone says something to me, I say something back. Equal and opposite reaction. But could the crisis that you are being asked to respond to, first and foremost, be from the enemy in order to trap you, in order to create strife in your life, in order to create something negative on the people that you influence? Could it be that the enemies brought it? Could it be? Have you asked the question? Jesus obviously walked away from this story And said verse 6 to whatever disciple recorded this. They were just trying to trap me. That's all that was. That's why I did what I did and said what I said. I had to find a third way. I couldn't go to the polls. I had to find what God had to say about this. I had to be careful. Because it it was a moment in which I could have said something that could have done damage. And instead Jesus said something that builds up and restores not only that, but this, this, this situation is, is, is completely and utterly twisted because they quoted the law as needing to be the authority of Jesus, except they, they misquoted it. That means just because you're responding with something that you've heard from a Christian source doesn't mean that it's something that you should be responding with yourself. 
Jesus could have said, well, if that's what the law says, what are you asking me for? Is that what Jesus says? Because the law had been twisted. Even if it was being conveyed as, as the Christian source, it could have been wrong. But that's not the payoff of the story. Nothing that I have said gets us to the crux of the matter about responding like Christ. Because Christ has a bigger goal than not getting trapped. Can I say that again just to make sure we're, we're, we're heading in the same direction? Jesus had a bigger goal than not getting trapped. You know what his bigger goal was? The salvation of the woman in question. He had to be careful, not just because Jesus was a political operative, because he wasn't. He had to be careful, not, not just because Jesus had a ministry, even though he did. He had to be careful, not because this was a, this was a, this was a societally and culturally charged moment, but he did. But, but that's not why he had to be most careful. He had to be most careful because as the Son of God, he came to seek and save that which was lost. So oftentimes, we forget the words that come directly after John 3.16, where Jesus says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus was not on an, era, an errand of condemnation. He was on an errand of salvation. And folks, we, as Christians, are not on an errand of condemnation. We are on an errand of salvation. Every response we have to the crises in this world must be tempered by the fact that Jesus has us in this world to see men and women come to know that he is their Lord and Savior. Everything that we say must be filtered through that lens. That salvation is in question. That eternity is in question. That the societal ills that we have are, are, are true and real and do have a basis in the fact that every single person has no right to cast a stone. But we as Christians have to go to another level. We can't just respond to the culture or respond to the political situation or respond to the socioeconomic situation. We have to ask ourselves, is what I'm going to say lead to redemption and salvation? Or am I operating in the flesh so that I can spout my opinions or share where I'm at or make sure people know that I have a different opinion or I have something different for them to hear that I might educate them because of their ignorance? Or are we looking to see men and women come to know Jesus? Is that our aim? Sometimes that will cause us to respond. Sometimes that will cause us to ask questions. Sometimes that will cause us to say nothing at all because we haven't heard from heaven. But my question to each and every one of us today, Matthew Skifstad, not Pastor Matt, Matthew Skifstad included, is are we trying to discern what the Lord's doing? before we speak. Because we are God's instrument of salvation on earth. And is what we're going to say going to lead someone closer to Christ 
or give an opportunity for the world to bring a charge against us? It's an important question. I love the final interaction of Jesus with this woman. Woman, where are your accusers? Where are the ones who said initially that you are worse than them? That your evil is worse than their evil? That your sin is greater than their sin? Where are the ones who have accused you and condemned you today? of being a greater sinner than them. Where are they? Are they here? She says, no, there's nobody left. He pointed out that before God, we are all sinners in need of salvation. Jesus, no one's here any longer to accuse me. And what Jesus says is so important, and I don't want us to miss it because it's the crux of the story. He doesn't say, well, good. I'm glad I could diffuse that situation for you. I'm glad by my heaven-filled eloquence to have spared your life. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, by finding the third way, I proved myself to be invariably the son of God. Aren't I brilliant in my response to this polarizing situation? says, go and leave your life of sin. I'm not here to condemn you today. But I want to see you saved. As Daniel said, I, I want to see you come to repentance and turn your life around. That's what this moment was for for you. It's gospel-centered. It's not cultural-centered. Jesus isn't impressed with the brilliance of his eloquence. He doesn't say, aren't I a genius? I saved your life without letting anybody have satisfaction. No. He simply tells her, go and leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you, but God has better for you. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Folks, We have such a strong call on our lives. And we are going to be presented with crises after crisis after crisis. And I know I'm muddying up the plural and the singular. Sorry, English majors. But we have a call in this world. And everything we say must be filtered through that call. Because Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now, first and foremost, that you would speak to our hearts. Not that some words from Pastor Matt would resonate, but your Holy Spirit would resonate in us. God, it's easy to hear something like this and say, yes, amen, that's right, but not do the hard work of evaluation of our lives. God, can we take a moment to evaluate today and say, Lord, do I pause, do I reflect, do I discern, do I wait to hear from heaven before I jump in?
Do I come up to your standard, Lord? A standard measured by the call to salvation rather than the call to prove myself right. Rather than the call to share where I'm at, do I come up to your standard, Lord? If you're in this place today and you would say, Pastor Matt, I've not been coming up to God's standard. And I know it. It would be such a powerful and humbling thing for you to do something physical to tell the Lord that you're going to change that with his help, by his power. And I don't have my eyes on you today. This is between you and the Lord. This is confession time. Every head bowed, every eye closed. But that step of humility, of doing something physical before the Lord this morning, is a huge step because it's been a lack of humility that's bringing conviction today. You had a stone in hand, perhaps casting it even if being cast gently. I would ask you today, between you and the Lord and before the Lord, do something physical. You can raise a hand to God, turn two palms towards heaven. If you have been such, so off in this, you can kneel on the ground before the Lord in dire humility today. You can stand. You can nod your head vigorously, but do something physical to match what's going on spiritually before the Lord today. Humble yourself before the Lord. Say, God, Pastor Matt could have been speaking about me today. And I'm hearing from you that I need to change. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters today. Oh God, heal us of our pride. Our need to be heard. Our need to express that which you have not asked us to express. God, help us. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord we recognize that we are surrounded by a lost and a dying world who need you so desperately. May that be our one aim when responding to the crises of this world. May we not try to find a center way for the sake of proving to people how eloquent we are. May we not be scared of taking a stand if that's what you've called us to do. But Lord, most important, may we hear from you, responding for you as your people in this world, ready to speak only what you have told us to speak, and ready to be bold for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do this work in us. We pray that you would do it miraculously. we who have been operating in a different way for so long. I pray you do it miraculously. All for your sake.
for the sake of the gospel, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand with us today? It's only 10 minutes till we pray over Pastor Aaron. So make your bathroom break quick and meet us under the portico today. If God's speaking to you today and he was doing something in your heart, tell somebody. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. It's a great thing to do to be like, God spoke to me today. This is what I've been doing, but this is what God's calling me to now. It's a powerful thing. We hope you come out and join us in just a few minutes. Let's pray and thank God for his presence. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence. It's been here since moment one. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst because, Lord, you change us into the likeness and image of your Son when we allow you to do so. God, we thank you for everything that took place here today because, Lord, we know that you've been in it. We pray, Lord, as we go from this place, we would go with joy knowing that you are our rock and our redeemer. We praise you for all these things and ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Ushers will dismiss you by rows. Thank you, AJ. Yeah. Hang out. <laughs>